Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au If you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Alright, we're in a uh, series in First Peter called Live Different. Our followers of Jesus are called to live different to the culture that they live in. Let me just get straight into 1 Peter chapter 2 today. Uh, let me just read uh, one verse. It says, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you, as it's very strong language in the Greek, when he says, I urge you, he's imploring them, as foreigners and strangers, as aliens and strangers in this world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. You know, Peter is writing this general pastoral letter to believers that are, you know, scattered across the, the Roman Empire. And he's saying, to, he's not, most letters in the New Testament are kind of written to a particular church, like the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, and, and addressing some particular issues that they are going through. But First Peter is one of very few general pastoral letters in the New Testament. It's written to all of the churches, you know, throughout uh, the Roman Empire. Every church that the letter could get to, it could get distributed to, it was to, to everyone, to all believers believers, you know, he's, he's saying, you are aliens and strangers in this world. You are spread throughout the Roman Empire, but Rome is not your home. You are citizens of heaven. You are strangers in this world. Rome is not your home. You're not to live according to the values of the Roman Empire, but you're citizens of heaven. You're called to live according to the values of the kingdom of heaven. And that's going to make you a little bit strange. You're a stranger. Put, put your hand up if you're sitting next to someone who's a little bit strange. A, a lot of you. There's a lot of strangers uh, here in the, the room. You know, some people are a little bit strange. I, I find some people dress strange. You know, people make fun of the fact that I always wear uh, blue shirts. I, I personally think anybody that doesn't wear blue shirts is strange. I, I mean, why, why would you want to wear a shirt with patterns on it, Eric? I mean, what, what, is, what is, you're matching your wife. It's kind of like matchy-matchy day. You know, I, I think people dress strange if they don't dress uh, like me. Some people eat strange. You know, I love my wife. But uh, since I've known her, she, when we go to McDonald's, she has taken hot chips, french fries, and dipped them in a chocolate sundae and eaten... Anybody else do that? Okay, you're strange. That, that's not normal. It's very strange behaviour. Some people dress strange. Some people eat strange. Some, some people talk strange. I was talking, you young guys down the front, you talk strange. I was speaking at the youth group at Mackenzie the other week and before I got up to talk, they gave me a little vocab test to see if I you know, understood the words that they use. I got zero from six. All right, see if you guys do any better. Does anyone know what a derp is? What's a derp? Even you guys don't know. I actually like this one. It's a fool. I've been calling people derps for weeks now. You're a derp. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty cool word. What about I-Y-K-Y-K? -Y -Y what does that mean? If you know, you know. I, I didn't know. I had absolutely uh, no idea. What about Riz? <laughs> Funny, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, had, I had no idea. Apparently it means you've got a bit of charisma. You've you got a bit of riz. I've evidently got none because I had, I had no idea uh, what it meant. Uh, what about bussin'? Yeah, apparently I'm not sure if I'm allowed to use that in church, but it, it did mean, you know, tasty. You know, it's particularly tasty food. It's bussin' food, but it might have had other connotations since then. <laughs> So uh, we'll cut that one out of the podcast, uh, according to the front uh, row. Uh, this one's a dumb one. Finna. Finna. 
It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, you're going to do a project. It's like you're going to finish a project. Just say the whole word. It's not a word you need to shorten. You know, some of your parents, you need to go home and just say to your teenager, you're going to finna clean in your room. You know, you're going to finna <laughs> the lawn. Uh, one last one. Pov. Pov. Point of view. That's not what POV meant when I went to school. <laughs> when you took your sandwiches out of your bag and your mum hadn't made you very good sandwiches, you're a POV. But, uh, you know, apparently uh, now it's point of view. Anyway, some people dress strange, some people eat strange, some people talk strange. Peter is saying as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be a little bit strange. But I want to encourage us today to be strange for the right reasons. I want to go back to, into history, into this time, or just after this time, that, that Peter is encouraging the, uh, the churches throughout the Roman Empire to live as strangers, to live a little bit strangely compared to the uh, community around them. And there's a letter, it's called the Letter to Diognetus. It's a, it's a letter written to a uh, Greek guy in the who's a governor, he's, uh, he's got some you know, authority. We don't exactly know what authority he had, but there's someone sort of going throughout the region, writing to him, you know, giving a report back about what these new Christians are like. Remember, this is, this is the start of the church. This is what he writes. Now, these aren't believers writing this or receiving this. All right? It's just people observing what the church is like is in about one, somewhere between 100 and 150 AD. It says, Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, language or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect, derp, or follow some outlandish way of life with regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it's Greek or foreign. And yet there's something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labour under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Christians in the first century, remember the church is just getting started. They're just working out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They were a little bit strange, but they weren't strange because of what they ate, the way that they dressed, or even the way that they talked. That They were strange because they lived according to a different set of values. They, they, they lived with a strange generosity. The, the culture of Rome was materialistic and cruel. It was dog-eat-dog. You were out for yourself. You looked after your own, but you didn't care about anybody else. There was no sense of welfare. There's no sense of help for those in need. But here, they're saying, as they're looking at the way that these Christians are living, they're generous. They're opening their homes to share their tables with people who are not like them. They're opening their homes to share their tables with people that are in need. That They live with a strange generosity. I want to ask us today, are people looking at our lives and noticing a strange generosity. They, they live with strange family values. They married and had children like others, but they didn't expose them. You know, at, at the time, it was normal and it was legal if you had uh, a child that you didn't want because of the sex, the gender that they were, or because of a disability that they had, or because you simply couldn't afford to feed them in this current harvest that you received, 
It was perfectly normal and it was perfectly legal to leave that child out in the wilderness to be exposed to the elements and to die. Christians didn't do it. They said they, 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 they had a different kind of love for those in their family. They had a, a different you know, kind of respect for life. They lived according to different family values. Are people noticing your strange family values? Can people look in at the way that your family lives together and loves together and say there's something different about them? I've got to be careful how I say this, but they had a strange sexuality. In Rome at the time, it was perfectly normal for a man to have a wife, several mistresses, and to uh, visit the brothel when he wanted to. It wasn't hidden. It was completely normal, but not for Christians. Christians would share their money, they would share their possessions, they would share their tables, but they would not share their wives. They were promiscuous with their wallets, but not with their wives. And it was completely strange to the culture of the time. Once again, I'm careful how I say this, but are people noticing your strange sexuality? Because it's really easy in a sexually permissive culture for the values of the culture to slowly start creeping in. And we begin to watch what everyone else watches. We begin to talk like everybody else talks. And maybe we actually begin to engage in sexual intimacy the way that everybody in the community engages in sexual intimacy because it's normal. Are people noticing that there's something strange about your life? Because they're supposed to. But they're supposed to notice that you're strange for the right reasons. Followers of Jesus are strangers in this world. It goes on, verse uh, 11 and 12, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls, not like they, they, you don't have temptations like everybody else, but live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Live different. Abstain from sinful desires. Don't just go with the flow of, of everybody else uh, around you, but actually choose to abstain. Don't just do what everybody's doing because it feels good. But actually live such good lives that people look at your life, they notice something strange about you, and they too come to know that there is a God in heaven who is worthy of our worship. We're going to read through a fair bit of scripture today in uh, 1 Peter 2 and 3. I really want to encourage you to kind of stay with me as we read through these chunks of scripture. Some of it is actually really confronting, disturbing and challenging. Some of you, if you're honest, you're going to get offended at a couple of spots. And I'm hoping today that I might help to contextualise you know, what uh, God is saying through the Apostle Peter, uh, which might, you know, turn it from just being offended to actually, you know, giving us hope and purpose. But even in context, it's still challenging. And I don't want to minimise the message. What uh, Peter is saying here, and what is uh, still true for us today, 2,000 years later, is your life may be the only Bible that unbelievers read. You know, we've all got people in our lives that are far from God right now, and I bet you most of us would love just to be able to give them a Bible, say, read this, discover Jesus like I have, and, uh, and everything will be good. Now, most of us know there's not that many people in our lives who are far from God who are willing to pick up the Bible and read the whole thing from cover to cover. There's a psalm. But I don't find there's many. And so your life may be the only Bible that unbelievers around you will read. They're going to look at your life and they're actually going to see your good deeds 
And that's going to be the thing that leads them to glorify your Father in heaven. Let me just read a little bit more from 1 Peter. It says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Now, I think already some of us are going to get a little bit you know, uneasy here. To every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone, not just nice people, everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor, the prime minister and the premier and every other human authority, even the ones that you don't like. You know, this, uh, this language of kind of exile and, and stranger and foreigner that Peter actually uses in this letter over and over again is actually referring back to the time when uh, Daniel was in exile along with uh, the uh, people of Israel in Babylon. And they were exiles. They, they were living in a city they didn't want to live in. They were living in a culture that, they, that, that was against what they believed in. And, and Daniel is our prime example of how to live as a stranger, how to live as an exile. You know, Daniel lived such a good life that people came to glorify God. He lived such a good life, he kept getting promoted in leadership. King Darius decided to make him governor or prime minister you know, over a whole of his empire. He was going to be second in charge over the whole land and everybody else you know, got jealous. And so they're all running around, the guys that thought they should have been given that position, they're running around trying to find fault in Daniel's life. They spy on him. Just imagine you're getting spied on. They spy on, on Daniel and they can't, it says they cannot find any deceit or corruption in his life. It says the only way we're going to get this guy is if we make a law that's actually in opposition to the law of God. What they found was he was not a predictable lawbreaker, he was not a predictable sinner, but he was a predictable prayer. He prayed three times a day, every day, without fail. And I actually think, you know, that is key to living this kind of different life, is our intimacy with God, it's our prayer life. And I'm going to give us some practical ways to do that this morning. I think if we all picked up, it may help us to live such good lives, that people would look at the way we live and they too would be drawn to God. But they tricked the king into making a law that if Daniel prayed to anyone other than King Darius, and he's a pretty egotistical guy, and he thinks, I want everyone praying to me, bowing down in worship to me. And if anyone prays to any other god except for King Darius, then they'll be thrown to the lions. It was the only law that Daniel was willing to break. Followed all of the other laws in the, in the land, even though he didn't you know, necessarily respect the, the people who were making uh, those laws or why those laws were made, he chose to submit himself to human authority except when it broke the law of God. And he continued to pray three times a day. And he was thrown into the lion's den. You know the story. God shut the mouth of the lions and uh, saved him. And Daniel testified to King Darius and King Darius, his egotistical pagan king, writes a worship song to God that's recorded in the scriptures. The sovereign God, Daniel's God is the sovereign God of the universe. He lived such a good life in such a pagan culture that people looked at his life and they chose to glorify God in heaven. And the key for Daniel was praying three times a day, every day, staying connected to God in a pagan culture so that he could continue 
to follow the law of God and live such good lives that others would be drawn to God. Peter says here, how should you do it? Respect everyone, love the church, fear God and honour the emperor. Listen to to that last bit he says, for the Lord's sake. Not for your convenience, not for your comfort, not because it feels good to you, not for your sake, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, this is how I want you to live. Your life may be the only Bible that unbelievers will read. Let me just get a little bit more practical. Your example at work may be the only Bible your workplace will open. Let me just read a little bit about the workplace. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate bosses, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Jesus has given you an example here. He's given you an example in the workplace that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you return to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Now let me just pause here for a second and say the Bible is not celebrating, condoning slavery. What the Bible here is saying, what Peter is saying, some of you are slaves because it's normal in the culture that you're living in, to be slaves. In fact, it was a very common way to work. It was a little bit different to uh, the 19th century slavery that we saw in the US, a little bit different to what we're seeing in human trafficking around the world uh, today. Some people voluntarily became uh, slaves to actually get ahead and because they, 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 they didn't have land to farm. Some people became slaves because they lost uh, their farm and that was a way of supporting uh, their, their family. It was very, very different to the, the way that we see slavery today. But I still don't think that God is, is saying slavery is the most meaningful way uh, for people to be in work. But he's saying a lot of you are slaves. Choose to submit to your boss. Even in the workplace, live such good lives that people will look at your life and glorify your, your Father in heaven. Now, we live in different HR times today. It says there, even if you receive a beating, choose to do good in the workplace. Now, we live in a time of different HR laws and you know, we don't have slavery, by and large, in this nation. Now, I'm not saying here that Jesus is saying, if you're in an abusive and toxic workplace, stay there. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. But he's saying in every workplace that's difficult, put your hand up if you've got some difficulties in your workplace. Come on, be honest. We've all got challenges in our workplace. We've got people that annoy us. We've got got people that get under our skin, people that's hard to love. How, How do we live such good lives in the workplace that people will see God? Let me give us just a couple of practical examples uh, today. Honour your boss publicly and privately. We, we've all got a boss. I, I got lots of bosses. I got two boards in two different organisations that I uh, report to. Sometimes they make decisions I don't like, but I have to implement. And sometimes I argue and I, and I state my case of why I think they're wrong. But once they've made the decision, it is my job to honour that decision and to honour those people and to do what they ask. And we've all got 
different kinds of bosses. Some of us run our own businesses and we've got, you know, authorities or regulators that we need to honour in some way. Some of us work in businesses or in government and we've got a, a boss that we need to honour. I'm just saying, one of the ways that we stand out, they're a little bit stranger, a little bit different, it's easy to take pot shots at the boss. Honour your boss publicly and privately. Another one. Don't get caught up in workplace gossip. I'm convinced gossip is one of those sins that we're okay with today. We've all got some sins in different cultures that we kind of excuse and we're just okay with. I'd say in our culture today, one of them is gossip. We're okay with it. The Bible's not. God's not okay with it. Time and time again, he says, don't slander. Don't, don't get caught up in gossip. You want to look a little bit strange in your workplace. Don't get caught up in the workplace gossip. And then Jesus makes, uh, Peter makes it really clear here. When someone in the workplace cuts you down with their words, follow the example of Jesus and do not retaliate. That's hard. That's challenging. That's confronting. If there's one time in the history of the world Jesus should have used his words to retaliate, he should have said to us, you know, I don't love you anymore, I hate you, I'm going to get you back. If there's one time in the history of the world Jesus should have retaliated with his words as when they were hurling insults at him, as when they stripped him naked. You know, it was, it was when they forced him to carry a cross that was not his to carry. If there was one time in the history of the world, Jesus should have used his words to retaliate rather than to laugh. It was when they whipped him within an inch of his life and spat on him and hurled insults at him and then forced his arms out wide and pushed nails through his hands and through his feet. But it wasn't just the physical agony. It was relational and spiritual agony as he took your sins and my sins upon his shoulders and he put them to death. He was separated from his father's love so that we would never have to be again. There was one time in the history of the world when Jesus should have used his words to retaliate. It was in that moment. But what comes out of his mouth? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. That, my friends, is a steadfast love that never ceases. Peter says, follow Jesus' example. Someone cuts you down in the workplace. Don't retaliate. But forgive. Bless. Choose to build up. Not to tear down. Not for your comfort's sake. Not because it feels good. But for the Lord's sake. Because your example in the workplace may be the only Bible your workplace will open. All right, this next bit of scripture I'm going to read. All right, don't, I need you to wake up if you're falling asleep. This is going to push some buttons. Ready? Everyone tell me you're ready. Chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, put your hand up when you're starting to get buttons pushed. In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. No hands up. Okay, good. This is obviously a different crowd down here. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the <coughs> weaker partner. 
and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Come on, put your hands up if you're a little bit disturbed. (laughs) Oh, man, I've been nervous about preaching this passage. (laughs) Peter is saying your behaviour at home may be the only Bible that your family will believe. Your behaviour at home. Unbelieving husbands will believe the word of God because of the behaviour of their wives. What behaviour? Submission and haircuts. (laughs) I'm going to push submission just down the road a little bit and focus on haircuts, which is still fraught with danger, but just a little bit less. I I fell in love uh, with Susan when I was 13 years old. She was standing on stage uh, of a church in a girls' brigade choir and it was in the early 80s and uh, she had these massive big bangs. You know, she used about three cans of hairspray to, uh, to hold her hair up uh, in place. And I just looked at that hair and I thought, I'm going to marry that girl one day. And I'm very grateful that I have. And then through the years, I've seen, you know, uh, hairstyles change. In the, uh, in the later high school years, she was a huge Amy Grant fan. Come on, put your hand up if there's any other Amy Grant fans in the room. I swear, she used to walk into the hairdresser with the latest Amy Grant album and say, give me that. Just have a look on the screen, I'll show you. This is uh, my father's eyes era. Next one. This is the Christmas album. She even got the Christmas album done. Next one. Uh, Amy Grant uh, unguarded. Unfortunately, I got in that photo too. Is there one more? <laughs> no, that's it. Oh, there she is, Amy Grant in my father's eyes. She, uh, she had them all. And then there's this one time, we can get rid of those now. There was one time after uh, we got married, she decided, we didn't have a lot of money at the time, she decided to bleach her hair herself. And she rang me at work and said, you've got to come home quick. I came home, she had her hair all wrapped up. And uh, she said, you look after the kids, I've got to get to the hairdresser. And I said, what's happened? And she took the towel off her head. She looked like a sulfur-crested cockatoo. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. And she raced, raced out of the hairdresser to, to get it all uh, fixed up. Other than that time, I've, I've loved my wife's hair for the last 30 uh, something years. Any husbands here not noticed when their wives come home with a new haircut? Put your hand up and just admit it today, okay? A bunch of us. I just got good news for you husbands today. Peter says it's okay. You're not supposed to notice. You're not supposed to notice elaborate hairstyles. You're supposed to notice a gentle and quiet spirit, a purity, a grace. And uh, Susan gave me permission to have fun at her expense today, but this is in all honesty. It's her example when I was a fair way from God in my late teens, and it's been her grace and forgiveness of me when I've done dumb things over the last 30-something years that's helped me to understand the grace and the forgiveness of God. It's a gift. I want to encourage wives in the room. It's a gift to your husband. It's a gift to your family to develop a close relationship with Jesus and to show that grace and that forgiveness and to bless your husband. Now, let me just get to submission. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. You need to understand, this is where I want to give a bit of context. This was a patriarchal culture. Men owned their wives. They could do what they wanted with them. They were forced to submit to their husbands. And what's happening in the first century 
as these women are coming to know Jesus and finding this new identity and this new strength in their relationship with God, many of them are tempted to go to their husbands and say, jam it. It's in the Greek. (laughs) To find this new freedom they've found in Christ, they're actually wanting to find freedom from their marriage. And both Paul and Peter are saying, don't use your freedom to tell your husband to go jam it. Don't use your freedom to leave your husband, but use your freedom to love your husband and to love him in such a way that he might see what God's done in your heart and he too might come to know God. Now here's, and so when, when, when Peter's saying, submit to your husband, it was, they were already submitting to their husbands. This is the culture they live in. The really countercultural bit is, is what Paul really focuses on in some of his letters where he says, submit to one another. Husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This was unheard of. Husbands, in the same way wives submit to their husbands, you are submit to your wife like Christ had submitted himself to his father and laid down his life for the church. This is true. When a husband and a wife choose to outdo each other in serving the other's needs, in putting the other's needs before their own, marriage is heaven on earth. When a husband and wife choose to keep score about whether their needs are being met, and they keep a record of wrongs. Marriage is hell on earth. And what Peter is trying to say into this context in the first century is that your marriage is supposed to be different to the culture around you. You're actually supposed to love each other in such a way You're supposed to lay down your lives for each other in such a way, just like Jesus laid down his life for the church, that people will look at the love and the intimacy and the respect that you have for one another and they go, I've never seen anything like this. And they too will see the goodness of God. Now, just a little bit of cultural difference here. What was happening in some marriages, we would actually, back then, we'd today call domestic violence, sexual abuse, or even rape. And I don't think Peter, and I'm certainly not saying, if you're in a situation like that, don't stay. Don't stay. Don't stay and be a doormat. We get help, get out and get help. But what I do think the application for us today is to look for ways to please your spouse. Choose to put others' needs before your own. Then it says, Husbands, likewise, be considerate as you live with your wives. Now, commentators believe that what the, the language that's being used here, it's actually talking about intimacy. It's actually saying husbands as you are intimate with your wives. Husbands, as you sleep with your wives, be considerate because they are the weaker partner. Now, very clear from the rest of Scripture, God's not saying that women are weaker intellectually, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. What this passage is talking about, and again, this, you know, someone will shoot me down for this as well, but women are weaker physically. And what was happening in these marriages is that men were simply demanding sex. They were, the women, they're treating their wives like a piece of property. 
And what Peter is saying to husbands, don't live like that. Now that you've come to Jesus, time to change. Be considerate with your wives. Do not force yourself on your wife just because she's weaker. Choose to love her. Choose to be gentle. Choose to be considerate. Choose to bless your wife. Believers in the early church, they were called to live different sexually. They were called to live different in their family values. Encourage husbands and wives, do everything possible to foster the spiritual life of your home and help your family believe. Your kids are watching. And if you're sitting here today and you're not married, this, this, is, this is equally for you. And you're looking for someone that you'd like to be your spouse. Look for someone who's submitted themselves to Jesus the same way you have and look for someone that you'd like to submit your life to because that's God's ideal for marriage. Your kids are watching, your grandkids are watching and this is hard. This is challenging. Staying married is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Having a godly marriage is a daily struggle to love my wife the way that Christ loves the church. It's not easy. little simple thing. The thing I forgot to say about the workplace, a really specific thing about prayer, pray for those who get up your nose. You got someone at work? You got someone at work that really gets up your nose? Choose to pray for them. Don't pray that God will smite them. Pray that, pray that God will bless them. You start praying the blessings of God over someone that you're struggling to love, God will start changing your heart. I tell you, I've done it. I know it works. I know you cannot pray blessings over someone and stay angry at them forever. Pray for those who get up your nose. In the, in the home, find others to share your struggles with and pray with. Don't do this alone. Marriage is hard. I've sat with too many couples as they're separating and they've been struggling with things in their marriage for years but nobody else knew. And now it was too late. Wouldn't matter what I'd said, nothing was going to change. It was too late. One of the best things we did when our kids were at school, we had another couple that we would, uh, we would pray with every second Wednesday night. We'd sit on couches opposite each other and uh, it was kind of like being in the hot seat. You know, either one of the husbands would cop a grilling one week. We were just never sure which husband it was going to be uh, that week. But we'd share our lives with another couple and we'd pray for each other and we'd pray for each other's kids. And at times, they had to say, Jason, pull your head in and love your wife as Christ loves the church. I'm so glad we did it. I'm so glad they said it. Find others, share your struggles with. This is not easy. And pray together with. Lastly, and I'll be real quick, our example in the workplace might be the only uh, Bible your workplace will open. Your example at home may be the only Bible your family will believe. They're looking for it. They're looking to see the selfless love of Jesus in your marriage. And our community, our compassion for our community may be the only Bible our community will study. Let me just read two more verses. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. Be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate. Can I just remind us here again today, whole bunch of things happening in our community right now that we might not agree with. We are not put here to condemn our community. 
We're not put here just to speak against everything that we think is wrong in our community. We are put here in Ormo. We're put here in South East Queensland to bless this community, to bless our city, to pour out compassion and love and blessing on our city so that others would be drawn to the compassion, the love and the blessing of God. God, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to love the world, to save the world, we're to follow in his footsteps. Can I encourage us? In the workplace, pray for those who get up your nose. In the home, find others to pray with. Share your lives with you and pray for each other's marriages. And in this community, pray a blessing over this community. Walk around this community, around your street, around community spaces, sporting clubs, the police station, the council offices. Pray a blessing over this community. We are not here to condemn this city. We are here to bless this city, to see more and more people. Look at our lives and look at this church family and see such good deeds that they would glorify our Father in heaven. That's why what we did last Sunday is so important. We're going to give over 10,000 meals to our city in the next year. We're going to pour out compassion on our city. I want to encourage you, walk these streets. Every time you, you drive down the, the main street, every time you drive around a past a community space, pray blessing. Pray that God will pour out a blessing on the leaders in this community that God has called to lead. I, I hope this morning no one's sitting here feeling guilty or condemned. I hope some people are sitting here feeling challenged and convicted So I think that's what the Word of God's supposed to do. But, but I hope also that you're feeling some hope that, that God actually can help you to do this. That, that, that you, you, you can by the Spirit of God, the power of God living within you, live different in such a way that people will look at your life, they'll look at your family, they'll look at you in the workplace and go, I think God's real. I just love to pray for a bunch of people as we, as we finish. If the, this morning you, you just got a little uh, a challenge to live different, to treat someone different, to to respond differently than what you have been in the workplace. Can I just get you to stand where you are? I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to get you to tell anyone what it is. Just, it's just a, something different you want to do in your workplace. Bless you, this call. It's just a change. It's a shift way you represent Christ in your workplace. Cool, thank you. I reckon there's some others just going, ah, God, I'm walking through a new challenge in our family right now. God, I desperately need your wisdom to live like this. I don't know what the challenge is, but I just felt that some of you here this morning, you're going through a new challenge in your family, and you just need the wisdom of God. I just want to pray for wisdom. If that's you, can I just get you to stand where you are? Cool. Thank you. If, if you know uh, these men and women and, uh, and they're, they, they're okay about it, can I just get you to stand with them? Just put a hand on their shoulder. Just, pray, just gonna, I'm going to pray and, and maybe as I pray, there's just be a uh, just a word of encouragement you'll get in your heart for them. Father God, I do. I just lift up these men and women to you today. You love them. God, you love them. You love them extravagantly. They are your children. You love them with a steadfast love that never ceases, an extravagant love that will never move, will never shift, it will never run out. God, would you fill them afresh with that love today? God, I pray that as they walk into the workplace, whether it's tomorrow or some other time this week, God, they'd just, they'd just be that little reminder of your love. Little reminder 
Your love for them is so expansive. It's so extravagant. God, there'd be such a there'd be a, such a revelation, such an experience of your love that it will flow out of them to others. God, that there'd be a there'd be a new love that you'd put in their heart for people in their workplace that have really got up their nose. God, there'd be a there'd be a new strength to distance themselves from gossip and put down. God, change their heart. God, may they just walk into that workplace lighter, not carrying the burdens of this world, but just with a lightness, just wanting to please you. Even when it feels unfair, there's this joy in pleasing you. God, would you give them a new joy in pleasing you, even in the midst of injustice? And Father, I pray for those just new challenges in their family. God, pour out wisdom from heaven. God, maybe there's just a word today that you just, just, they just need to hold on to. God, I pray that they would take hold of that word. God, I pray that they would dig into your word. If they don't know it yet, they haven't heard it yet, that God, that they'd find that bit of wisdom from, from your word. Just feel like some of you stand today, you need to read through the Proverbs. There's just going to be something that's just going to, it's just going to jump out at you. And you're just going to take hold of it and put it into practice in your family. God, I pray that they would just open up their hearts, their lives to those around them. God, there'd be people, there'd be wise counsel you'd put around them who would speak wisdom into their lives. God, would you give them wisdom to navigate this journey and to do it with a confidence that you're in control, God, that you have everything that they need. God, pour out your blessing on their family today. Bring healing and restoration. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, the rest of us stand. If you've, uh, if you've got a word of encouragement for someone you're standing with, just, just give it to them, however simple it might seem. Just uh, encourage them today. Say, hey, I've got this prayer for you today in my heart. Hey, we're going to finish singing this song. It just says, God, you are the faithful God of the universe. You're a faithful Father. You never give up on us. All my days you have been faithful. Maybe as we sing this song today, just remind yourself as you walk through this new challenge, remind yourself how God's been faithful in the past and He's got you through it. Let's sing it together. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 